Uh, good morning. We're turning back to John's gospel this morning, and we're in John chapter 13. Uh, John chapter 13, we've had a great week with the boys and girls, tremendous uh, enthusiasm, energy, fun, seriousness, interesting amidst all the fun and all the crack that we talk about here to watch the boys and girls when the stories were being told during the week and see the concentration and how well they listened and so forth. So all of that was really uh, tremendous, so encouraging. So it might seem rather strange what we're going to read this morning and and preach on, but I trust it will be relevant. And I feel to uh, having thought and prayed about it and in a a sense tried to get away from it and do something different, uh, I do feel that it's what the Lord had me share with you today. So we're reading uh, from John 13 and we're reading really the story of Judas from verse... uh, John 13, we read from verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put out on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, Truly I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table at Jesus' side, So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. What a strange passage of Scripture to consider this morning after such a week of blessed activity amongst our young people. It may even seem rather discordant to you that we should be turning to such a passage and such a subject um, this morning. But you know, as I was reading and thinking about this during the week, it, it occurred to me how, how challenging, how relevant an application there is even 
of this story in a general way. And the application, the general application is this, that in the midst of the most blessed ministry of the gospel and gospel work, there is always another work going on. In the midst of this glorious gospel work, there is another work going on. The devil is never idle. And indeed, he is often busiest where the greatest kingdom activity is being carried on. At this point, for years now, Jesus and his disciples had been ministering with quite outstanding results and success from a worldly perspective, but even from a heavenly perspective. But as, as the crowds looked on, they saw this, the evidence of, of, of his power and his authority, uh, his teaching and all the rest of it. And yet in the midst of it all and throughout it all, the devil was at work. Not just outside, far away there, but the devil was at work inside, within the group of disciples. And I think that that uh, stark reality ought to remind us constantly of the need of faithful prayer as a bulwark and as a defense of the gospel ministry in which we are involved. We've had a truly blessed week in many ways, not uh, uh, simply and not merely, although primarily in sharing the gospel with boys and girls and young people and perhaps through them to uh, their parents and their homes. But in terms of our fellowship as a team and our sense of being together as a church fellowship in the work of God. But always we need to surround that with prayer. Bathe it in prayer. Build a bulwark around it. Many hours of earnest and genuine effort have been put in into the last week, from months back, when our, when our planners, our leaders started to, to plan and so forth, and what energy, what, what labor has been put into it. And of course, that goes on every week here in, in the church, as we as a, a family endeavor to serve our Savior. But let us be warned and beware again that in the midst of it all, the devil too has been busy, and he will be busy seeking to spoil and destroy what has been done in Christ's name. And the only defense against that, the only bulwark against that is the power of Christ himself. That power of Christ, which in a sense is, 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 is available to us through the ministry of prayer and intercession uh, at the Lord's feet. So there is that very general and very practical, I think, and, and uh, relevant application of the story of, of Judas to us as a church fellowship in our ministry. But let's turn to Judas himself. The story of Judas is a tragic story. It's a story of deceit, of lies, of tre treachery, actions that we all despise, and actions which many today would claim to be beneath them. They would never be guilty of that. Even those in the world look on at times and they will ask the question, how could Judas have done such a thing? And, and he's despised for what he did. To call someone a Judas today is to insult them to the very deepest degree because it speaks more than anything else of, of trust and love and confidence betrayed and, uh, and broken. None of us like to think of ourselves uh, as guilty of those things. 
But I want you to see three things, and our time's limited this morning, so we'll be brief. I want you to see three things that are very evident here in Judas's behavior. And the first is what we might call treachery. Treachery. And the depths of that treachery are well emphasized for us in Christ's quotation here. He quotes from Psalm 41. He says, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And that little phrase, lifted up his heel, it's a, it's a rather quaint uh, but very serious phrase which implies treachery uh, and betrayal. Here was Judas. He had walked with Jesus for three years. He had been following, at least in his footsteps, the master. He had been identified with Jesus and with the disciples. And as the disciples looked on, not just as the world looked on, but as the disciples looked on, they saw Judas as one of themselves. They saw, the the world saw Judas as one of Christ's. And as far as outward appearances went, Judas was a follower. So he had walked with Christ. Not only that, but he had sat at Jesus' feet. What an amazing privilege to sit at the feet of the Savior with with his fellow disciples, uh, so it appeared, and to listen to the teaching of the Lord. To listen to the Lord Christ himself preach the good news of the kingdom, and explain the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And he had witnessed the signs. He had witnessed the the miracles which had accompanied his leader's ministry. So Judas was in no doubt about the uniqueness of this man, Jesus of Nazareth. He had walked with Christ. He had sat at Jesus' feet. And we may even say he had suffered with Jesus. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, in this sense, that for those years, at least for most of those three years, Judas had shared the rejection that the disciples felt by the Jewish leaders and authorities. He had suffered the opposition and indeed the harassment which they constantly raised to the message and ministry of the Lord and his disciples. And Judas was part of that. He, in that sense, had suffered with the other disciples. He was regarded in the same way by the authorities as the other disciples were and as Jesus himself was. Of course, there's another side to this, and I was thinking about this, that he also, and and we don't know when, if you like, and how the change in Judas's heart came about and the precise way in which it came about. But there is also this possibility that, that uh, Judas also basked in the popularity which Jesus and the disciples enjoyed for part of that time, the kind of reflected glory. Uh, so he may have enjoyed that uh, as he followed the master. And indeed, it's more than possible that uh, Judas, with the kind of mindset that he had, thought it was worthwhile to risk the anger of the leaders and the outsiders if he could enjoy the popularity which was going at that time uh, by following Jesus. And particularly since he was the treasurer and he was a thief. And that's another story. What we are sure of is this. Judas seemed to be what he was not. 
Judas seemed to be what he was not. And that is a deadly and dangerous position, position to be in. And one of the things I think that those of us who occupy the pulpit, those of us who are in pastoral care and pastoral leadership, one of the things that concerns us greatly as we preach to, to, to our congregations is this, that there are those in the congregation possibly who seem to be what they are not, who seem to be right with God, who seem to be in touch with Christ, who seem to be walking after the Savior, and they're not. And of course, outside of this, in the religious world outside, there are so many who admire Jesus, they appear to be friends of Christ, they attend church, they profess to believe the Bible, but in reality, their hearts are far from Christ, as was Judas's. So the first picture we have is a picture of treachery, betrayal. The second picture is of obstinacy. Uh, Judas was obstinate. He was stubborn in what he did. And uh, both subtly and openly, Christ was bringing to our attention the seriousness and he was bringing to Judas the seriousness of what he was about to do. Verse 21, he said, one of you will betray me. And he described it in terms of lifting up your heel against me in terms of rebellion. Jesus was emphasizing, if you like, the treacherous nature, the dark nature of this deed. And of course, in Christ's private statement, so it, it seems because the Bible tells us here that, that there were those around the table who did not hear what Jesus actually said uh, to Judas at the very last. Whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. Even in that, there is, if you like, a, an implied warning against the seriousness of what was in Judas's mind. So why did Judas go ahead? Why did he, with all the evidence that he had of the past three years, why did he, with these warnings from Christ, both subtle warnings and other warnings, why did he go ahead with his deed? Why did, was he not brought to his senses by the indications of the seriousness of what he was about to do? Well, I don't think that's an easy question to answer in detail. But we can say this. Judas was caught in the bondage of his own sin. And you see, one sin leads to another. When Judas's heart turned aside from Jesus, it couldn't be seen openly. It was something that happened in here. And, and to all intents and purposes, he appeared the same to those around him, both within the, the, the disciples group and outside of that. But something was at work inside. Something was at work in here. And, and when that sin was allowed to, to, to breed and to fester and to grip him more and more, it led to more sins. And it's true, isn't it? And often we've we'd had, and with our boys and girls, we sometimes talk about this, how, how you know if you, if you tell one lie, uh, you have to dig a, a bigger hole to hide that lie and You've got to dig a bigger hole to hide that hole and so forth. And so one thing leads to another. And here we see Judas as a prisoner of sin, an instrument of Satan. There is a sense in which he could not help himself. 
for he was sold under sin. You know, that's precisely the position of every person who's not in Christ. If you're not a believer this morning, you're a slave of sin. That's why you can't change your own life. That's why you can't stop sinning, even though you know it's wrong. That's why you do things at times which you don't want to do or which you regret afterwards because you're a prisoner of sin. And it doesn't matter how hard you try, It doesn't matter what effort you put into it. You will never change that mindset, that heart set by yourself. You need to be liberated. You need to be freed from it. Sin makes slaves of us all. Born in sin. Um, David says we are shaped, we are molded in iniquity. We grow up sinning because we are sinners by nature. And we need to be released. We need to be free. And that sin will compel you. That sinful nature will compel you to do things even that you don't want to do or what you know are wrong. And this is precisely where Judas was here. He could not, he could not but understand that what he was about to do was treacherous. Even the secret, the secrecy of, of going and, and, and Bartering for 30 pieces of silver and all the rest. It's all, it's all wrapped up really in a, in a quagmire of, of deceit and, and wrong. So we have, first of all, treachery. And then we have obstinacy. And then finally, of course, we have this final step of apostasy. Having received the sop, having received the piece of bread... Judas went out and we read it was night. There's something very sadly symbolic about the way in which Scripture puts that here, isn't it? After receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. The darkness of his deed reflected really in the darkness of the night around him. Where does he go? Well, he goes to the house of the enemy. He goes to the rulers and the chief priests. He goes to confer and to enter into contract with those who are the enemies of Christ and the gospel. And at that point, the the lines of demarcation become clear. Up until then, it's been fuzzy. You know, Judas still part of the disciples' group, still part of those who follow Jesus. But at this point, the lines become clear. Judas is outside. Christ and the disciples are on one side, but he went out. And he's clearly separated from them. There's coming a day when there'll be a great separation. And that separation won't simply be in terms of space and time here. That separation will be in terms of eternity. And whatever else hell is, whatever else it is, and, and, and Scripture gives us various pictures, but whatever else it is, it is the place where God withholds all of his gracious presence. If you can imagine a, a world today where the restraint of the Holy Spirit 
all that is good in the world is taken out of it, then that's hell. Yesterday at a wedding in Kabul in Afghanistan, 69 people were shot dead and a hundred and something wounded through the actions of terrorists. That's hell, if you like, or a little taste of hell. When right and good, when the presence of God is withdrawn. And our plea and our, 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 our cry to you is if you're not in Christ this morning, that you think about that eternal separation that's coming. That cutting off from all of the grace and love of God for all eternity. What a fool Judas was. What a fool. What a tragic fool. One who seemed to be so close to Christ and yet in his heart far away. What a fool you are to walk on the sidelines of the Christian faith. To be looking over the fence as it were even this morning. To be looking over the fence of the Christian pathway as it were. And yet to continue to pursue, pursue your way to hell. Apostasy taking that final step, as it were, down the road to a lost eternity. I don't know if you've ever read The Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read it, read it you should read it. You can get it in modern language today, easily read. The boys and girls who are here, if you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, read it sometime. It's an amazing picture by Bunyan of the gospel and of the gospel pathway. But the final paragraph of that story tells a tragic tale. Ignorance has got almost to the gate of the celestial city. And Christian, as he's entering the city, he looks back and he sees ignorance. And he's being helped by vain glory, as it were, towards the, the gate of the celestial city. But at the end of the day, of course, he's rejected. He comes to the gate and he's asked for his certificate. He doesn't have one. He can't get in. Rejected. And Bunyan ends his, his story by saying this. That Christian realized that there is a way to hell even from the gate of heaven. There's a way to hell even from the gate of heaven. And you could be so near today, you could be so close to the Christians around you that you're, you couldn't be discerned as apart from them. You appear so Christian, so right, so in touch, and yet it could be tragically true that in fact in your heart you're separate from him. You know, I was trying to think of how to sum up this morning. How do you sum up Judas? Well, even thinking how we were talking to the kids this morning, Judas's eyes were wrongly focused. At the end of the day, they weren't focused on the glory of Christ. They were focused on self, on self-gain, on self-promotion, what he wanted. Whether it was, I, I don't think it was just the 30 pieces of silver 
Judas wanted something more. What it was, I, I don't know. Did he want a, a big place in whatever kingdom King Jesus was going to set up? Did he want prominence? Did he want that kind of thing? Fame and fortune and all the rest? I don't know. But whatever, his eyes were wrongly focused. What are your eyes on this morning? Where is your focus? His ambitions were wrongly directed. What he wanted for himself, what he wanted in his life was, was, was in the eyes of men, I suppose, great. In the eyes of God, it accounted for nothing. Aiming for simply the things of this world again. Which all add up to nothing. And his actions were wrongly directed. Directed by the evil one. So subtly, but so powerfully. Directed by the devil. His eyes wrongly focused. His ambitions wrongly directed. And his actions, his ambitions wrongly directed. His ambitions wrongly directed. Where are you this morning? As you compare yourself to this story, those of us who are God's children and have truly trusted in him, there is a warning here for us. And it's not, it's not uh, uh, wrong that we should have these warnings on the way. You may be a driver, a very accomplished driver uh, for many years, no points in your license and all the rest of it, but the warning signs are still on the road, you know, slow, stop, um, traffic lights telling you what to do and when to do. We need those warning signs. And in our Christian lives, it's exactly the same. We are in Christ. We are safe in Christ. But we need the warning signs at times to make sure that our eyes are properly focused and our ambitions properly weighed and our, our, our actions properly directed. Well, may the Lord bless his word to your heart today. May God bless you and bless his word to you and may he help you to obey it uh, as he directs it and as he applies it to your heart. We're going to pray together and then we'll, we'll sing. Our Father, we ask that as we contemplate this very sad, tragic story of Judas, that, Lord, you will help us to learn the lessons for our lives. Wherever we are spiritually, Lord, if we are in you, in Christ, then, Lord, to learn to take stock often of what our aims are, our ambitions are, what our motives are, what our desires are, and to make sure they align with your word. Lord, for those who are not in Christ today, Father, we pray that the warning note of the story will sound loud and clear in their minds and in their hearts, and that even today, They'll turn and seek you and seek salvation in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.